Hey everybody, this is Carrie Storms, middle school principal from Metro Christian Academy in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you're listening to the Metro Minute, Life in the Middle edition. We use the acronym MIDDLE, which stands for Mistakes, Identity, Development, Discernment, Lens, and Every, as a guide for our content. I'm super passionate about the life that happens during this season of growth for kiddos and families. The Lord has designed this season not just to survive, but to thrive. So join us here as we walk through life in the middle. So today I am really excited to be meeting with my friend, Daniel Bunn. Daniel is going to be a guest today for talking through Lens, putting on the lens of a biblical Christian worldview. And Daniel, I'm just so pleased to have you with me today. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Hey, will you introduce yourself a little, just kind of tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and why you're here today and just introduce yourself. Sure, sure. Uh, So I am an Old Testament professor at ORU, and I have also... Most of my life, I've worked in the church in some capacity. I've worked as a senior pastor. I've worked in youth. I've worked as an associate pastor. So I've always had sort of a foot in the classroom teaching Bible and then also in the church. I went to ORU. That's, I was a student there. That's where I really kind of became a committed Christian myself. Where I met my wife, Robin. We have four kids now. And so that's, that's a little bit about, about, about me. And just for context, in case there's someone's listening, ORU is Oral Roberts University. It's here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I like to think of ORU as sort of our university sister down the street. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Proximity-wise, we're all kind of along the same road, but it's really nice knowing that we have a faith-based higher ed institution down the road with such great people in our community that are involved in it. So thanks for being here today. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So we are jumping in today, you know, our middle school acronym, M-I-D-D-L-E. Today we're landing on taking a little bit closer look at L, which stands for lens, putting on that lens of a biblical Christian worldview. And Daniel, I find myself when I'm talking about this particular point, whether it's with students or parents or friends, I do this hand motion of looking like I'm putting on a pair of glasses. That tends to be sort of that tangible representation of where as a school, as an institution, we are trying to move towards of helping our students, helping our families understand and partner with us and us partner with them, what it means to truly put on the lens of a biblical Christian worldview. And so today, I want to engage with you in not only your perspective of what that looks like from your professional perspective, working with students, but I also really want to take a chance to speak to listeners primarily today who are identifying as parents of middle schoolers, because I know for us, if we are viewing the job, per se, of a child's biblical Christian worldview development being just the school or just the classroom, then as parents, we could be missing a really key opportunity and I would say responsibility that we have as parents of being active participators and leaders in that development of a biblical Christian worldview in our kids. But to be frank, that can be super intimidating. So talk to me a little bit about some themes that you're seeing, some observations you're having as it relates to uh, Christian worldview and students that you're working with. Sure, sure. Um, And a little bit before that even, just so thankful to be able to be here, especially in the context of middle schoolers. Uh, It's such a crucial time Mm -hmm. in their journey, in their formation as people, as, as Christians. I have a middle schooler myself. 
one who's already been through middle school. I was a middle schooler, so I appreciate <laughs> all that's involved in what's happening in the lives of middle mm. schoolers. Yeah, so a lot of my time during the week is spent with students who are, of course, past that phase. But they're in this interesting phase. It's another important phase where they're 18 to 22-year-olds who have moved out of the house and they're taking their faith on for themselves, perhaps for the first time in a lot of ways. And so, so it's an interesting time to be a part of their lives, and especially in terms of their faith formation. So as I've been working with them, it's been interesting to observe where they are and where they end up, even just in the course of one class, in the space that I have then as a professor of Bible classes in particular, and how that fits as a piece in that larger puzzle. So I've really been honored to have that space. And I've noticed lots of things in their stage that I think also would extend out even back to as early as middle school, and then even beyond, as I, as I continue to have some real frank conversations with adults who are much later on in the journey. I'm, I'm noticing that having space in the classroom to be able to sit with the Bible and read it and just read it mm. is something we take for granted. We all have access to the Bible. We have the Bible at our house, probably. We talk about how important the Bible is. But sometimes we don't create space just to sit with the Bible and with other people reading the Bible together. And I've been amazed to watch from day one of the semester to the last day. There's some students who come in and it's, it's awkward, it's overwhelming, it's intimidating, as I'm just inviting them to sit with the text. What do you see in the text? What's there? What's not there? What questions do you have? To watch the journey over just even a few months of, of that space being created for them, to see them really watching the Bible come to life for them, um, they don't come away feeling like they have all the answers, but the Bible becomes alive. It's, mm. it's, a, it's something they now interact with and they care, they're invested in, they care about because they've had time to sit with it and read it. So that, that's been really important for me in, in this process. I love being able to be, be in that space with them, watching that growth. And, and then noticing that's caused me then to reflect on looking at my own journey, looking at my journey as a parent, as a student, my own faith formation. And to recognize again that that, that space isn't always so common and easy to find. And it's caused me to ask lots of big questions about how we can foster that, how we can create that space as parents within the church, within a school setting like this. How can we create space where students can just come to love the Bible? Not necessarily what we tell them the Bible must say, but just, just coming to read and enjoy and appreciate the Bible itself. That's been really a running theme for me in my, in my classes, in my own journey. Uh, that, and now even as I think about back to middle schoolers, how can we create space for them just to read the Bible? Kind of in the acronym of middle, each of these letters has sort of a theme verse that we've attached to it. And for lens, the theme of God's word for direction and understanding, it's Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But even in that, there's an active choice of something will be a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, right? Mm -hmm. So as a Christian, we're saying God's word will be a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Mm -hmm. Yet our kids, even us as believers, we are navigating through a world that is giving us optionality, mm -hmm. that's fighting for that. Um, is it really going to be God's word that is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path? Well, what about this? Well, how could you do that if God's word says this? There's that... Um, that questioning, that skepticism, which is okay. It's okay to engage in those spaces. But I love what you bring up in terms of having that space to 
simply love God's word, you know, we are going to uh, rebel against rules, but respond and engage to relationship. Mm-hmm. And an undercurrent of a really healthy relationship is love. And so to mm-hmm. be able to love God's word um, can play a real active goal or a real active uh, role in choosing God's word mm-hmm. to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Mm-hmm. So what can that look like for parents, for families who are Christ followers, who are thinking, gosh, I really want to continue to engage in building what it looks like to have children who are choosing a biblical Christian worldview as they're approaching their studies, as they're approaching their relationships? Let's go a little bit deeper into that. That's a great question. You know, and again, I'm, I'm speaking partly from my experience in the classroom, partly from just my personal yeah. experience as a parent. But one, one of my one of the immediate thoughts I have about that is creating space for us to be real Christians in front of kids. In my own life, the people who were most influential, it, it wasn't always because they were telling me, hey, the Bible says this. Now you go do that. It was they were modeling for me their own struggle in this journey and their own struggle with scripture, their own reading of scripture. They, they were, they were showing me, they were putting it on display, the process and, 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 you know, the, the, the good, the bad and everything in between. And, you know, I, I, I think that's key for, for us in this process. We, we need people who were showing us they're on this journey with us and it, it, our parents as well, that they're, they're struggling. They're trying to understand God. They're trying to get to know God better. They're trying to follow God faithfully. Sometimes they mess up. Sometimes they get it right. And, uh, creating that atmosphere, that environment for grace to be, be present, um, for encounter with God to be, be made available. Just doing more of that together, I, th- I think is key. One of my hunches is that in light of some of what you were just talking about, these dynamics that are emerging, I, I'm sensing a common theme among parents like myself to retreat into fear. It's, it's scary to think about some of those dynamics and to see the changes and how quickly things change culturally, socially, and a default response could be to become fearful. And fear, I'm convinced, is never the best motivator. Mm. It, it leads to actions that aren't always best. It's not that there's no space for healthy fear, but fear as the basis of a relationship with God is, is usually short-sighted, is, is my perspective. Instead of that, instead of really just allowing fear to overwhelm, allowing the love and grace of God to be what really characterizes that whole process. So for students, for our kids, again, allowing them to read the Bible and just to be, to try to encounter God in it. So not necessarily to read the Bible to get the right answer for problem X that I'm facing today, but just sit with God, allow God to do the work. We sort of implicitly adopt this position of control. We want to go to the Bible and get from it what we need for that day. I would suggest instead a a posture of submission and trust. We come to the Bible and allow God to do in us what God wants to do in us. It's messier. It's not, there's not clean lines. We don't necessarily have an easy takeaway, but God's working in that process, uh, in that journey, even when things don't seem clear. I love that. And I'm so glad that you bring up that concept of fear because, again, that's super relatable as a parent, right? I have a new driver in my home. And so I've been struggling a lot recently with decisions based on fear Mm -hmm. in a real practical sense in terms of the fear of handing over the keys or, well, it's kind of raining or things like that. But that really does translate over to that active engagement of a daily trust of our children 
to the Lord, a daily trust of God's process and working on them in the Lord. When we don't know what the end point is, or when we aren't guaranteed a, don't worry, they're going to wrestle with this, this, and this, but the path will lead them to this final point, that takes an incredible amount of faith and trust and a reminder that we as parents are being stewards of these children. There can be, I think, a misunderstanding of that of, well, so as parents, are we just blindly handing these kids over and, well, let's just love them, and that that then in turn means that I'm sacrificing truth or that I'm sacrificing an adherence to a moral code or moral stability or that I'm bending to moral relativism. And yet those things aren't necessarily, that's not necessarily the case. Giving our kids space to be able to lean into the guiding and the prompting of the Holy Spirit through reading the word does not mean moral relativism. Can you speak to that a little, or what's your experience with that? Mm -hmm. I'm thinking also back to something you had said earlier, just in our conversation about perhaps a perception of having a biblical Christian worldview means I view things this way versus is there space to say having a biblical Christian worldview also means I engage with people this way, perhaps Mm -hmm. people that do disagree with me on things. Mm -hmm. What could that look like? Yeah, and thinking back to my own journey has been crucial for me as I come to these questions as a parent now, because in my own journey, I was raised in a Christian home. We attended church, we attended Sunday school, all that stuff. But I didn't fully take on my faith as my own. I had moments along the way where um, I was intrigued, but I wasn't one who was fully embracing that. In fact, you know, I did a lot of things that, uh, that typical teenagers do. So, But it was when I was 18 and I was in college for me that this all became real and, and I took it on personally. And so I've looked back on that journey because somehow it got me to a point where I took the faith on for myself. And I'm still growing as a Christian, obviously, so I don't pretend I've gotten there, but it, I came to a, something set me up for that moment. And I realized there were things that didn't happen that maybe would have affected that moment. I didn't, for instance, have parents who were forcing anything on me. They weren't compelling me, threatening me, you know, using, using fear as a motivator for me. Uh, they created an environment, a faith-filled environment in, in which we trusted in God. We knew who God was. And I was raised in that. So that was sort of the air that I breathed. But it was never, you know, never used as a threat, never used as a fear. It was invitation. And so I, I like to think back, it's all hypothetical, but had I been compelled, for instance, to, to, to do this, to try to take on my faith as my own by my parents. I don't know. Would I, at 18, would I have still been affected by that? Would I have been prepared to submit myself and humble myself when I was 18? I don't know. Was that all intentional on my parents' part? I don't know. But uh, there was an environment created where faith was present, but was, it was invitation. Again, if you would have looked at any day along the way, I was 14 when I was 16, you could have said, oh, you guys need to intervene right here because he said this, he did that. But if we have the wider view in mind, I think that's key for, for parents. We have the wider view in mind. God is patient with us. It doesn't always happen as quickly as we would like it. But if we have this wider view in mind with our kids, that this is just one step along the way. And we know aside from even a faith context, 
things they say when they're 14, when they're 13. I mean, we don't take everything they say. You know, we, 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 t- we take it as we should. It's sometimes, some things we take with a grain of salt. We know that they're, uh, they're going through all sorts of changes that we don't hold against them. But for some reason with faith, when you mix those statements about faith with what we've expressed already about what's the, the transitions in culture and, and, and all these pressures, these external pressures, it's almost like we feel different in that context. We have to make sure they say the right thing now do the right thing now or else they're setting themselves up for failure. It could be ironically that sometimes it does the opposite by, by, by trying to force or compel at a young age, it may take longer for them eventually to, uh, to find a healthy place where they're ready to embrace their faith for themselves. So it's that delicate balance of recognizing this is a long-term process. We're not, this is not today. It's their whole life. And so Delicately op- operating in that in that space, I think, is is key for us as parents. Well, and I think also as parents too, it's so much of this that we talk about in all of these different layers of the acronym comes back to engagement. When I, as a f- parent, am tired, generally the first thing <laughs> to go is my active engagement. If I get home at the end of a long day, if it's been a big band competition day, we've been at a soccer tournament, whatever it is, I think that's normal as a person, not just as a parent. Yet engagement is one of those key linchpin items that when it is sacrificed, it impacts so many other things, including that faith development, including our child's process of actively choosing God's word to be a lamp to their feet and a light to their path. And so, you know, even as a parent, as, as we're going through, you know, my husband and I going through in these engagement moments, trying to navigate through and wrestle with, okay, we're not going to be able to have an answer to every, every single issue or thing that the cultural moments are saying are important or the headlines or the, the talk of the time, right? But rather than focusing our energies on engaging in cultural moments. What does it look like to focus our energies in engaging in the timeless character of God, Mm. in the timeless attributes of faith, of how God is faithful to us, what our relationship is to him, and then using those timeless elements of an omniscient, omnipresent God who loves us and has created us to then become the guides for engagement questions, questions for engagement of, hey, what did you learn and talk about at school today? Questions for engagement of, hey, let's pause this scene in the movie real quick. What just went down there? Hey, tell me, we were just bebopping along in the car to listening to this song. Did you catch one of those lyrics? What did you hear that that lyric was talking about? Those are those engagement moments of putting on a lens of a Christian worldview that doesn't slot us into just a lesson or a course or a movie or a song genre or any of those little things. It instead gives us the lamp for the path. What do you hear in some of those things? What are maybe some other tools, just real basic things that for parents, they go, oh gosh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> this is another tool for engagement. This is another way that I can continue to come alongside my kids in their faith journey and developing those those skills. Yeah, I love a, a lot about what you were saying there. So important that content is important. Like you said, you know, lessons or have, having certain 
content that we communicate about our faith. That's important. But what you were demonstrating there, what you were talking about is practicing thinking like a Christian, practicing reflecting as a Christian. It wasn't prior, starting with, here's the right answer. Let me see if you get to it. It's genuine uh, space for you and your student to reflect on the world from a Christian perspective. And we may get it wrong. We may occasionally think this is the way, but by creating that space in the first place where it's okay to, to reflect critically and carefully as a Christian, there's then space to admit that you're wrong and, and continue to grow. It's this learning process. And, and that even reminds me of the question you had asked earlier about interacting, hearing different opinions and being able to interact. Uh, that for me has been not, again, not to say that there, there aren't right and wrong answers, that, that all is relative. But at the end of the day, our kids are growing up in a time where they're experiencing more and more people who are going to think differently than they do, act differently than they do. In most of those cases, their role isn't going to be to convince someone else to do something differently. It just, that won't happen. So how can they not just even think the right answer as a Christian, but engage in a Christian way with those who think differently, mm. with Christians and non-Christians alike? How can we interact as Christ would with those who think differently than us, apart from just convincing them of the right Christian answer? How can we do it in a Christian way? Well, um, and, and even as you're talking about this, like I'm picturing, okay, being at my kitchen table, having a conversation with my own child who says, gosh, this perspective was shared with me today, or I met somebody that shared this perspective and whoa, that was way different than what I thought. There is real opportunity then as a family, as a family who's, you know, a Christ follower to say, that that is really different. What do we do with that? How do we respond? Hey, let's grab our pastor this weekend and have a conversation with him or her as well. Just being able to, as a parent, realize God didn't design you as a parent to do this on an island. Right. We have yeah. this real active community as being part of a body of Christ to mm -hmm. lean into in our, our places of worship and, mm -hmm. and within other fellow believers. That's good. Absolutely. That should be feel very equipping and supporting as a parent, too. Yeah. Which that calls to mind, you were mentioning, you were asking about tools and resources. Um, one great tool in terms of youth ministry and youth mm -hmm. faith development that I've stumbled onto in the last decade um, is a tool called Sticky Faith. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of this. Uh, it's produced by a group that's actually out at Fuller Seminary, which is where I got my PhD. Um, but they have lots of resources for parents, for youth groups, for youth. But a couple of interesting things I've continued to see in the studies that they did. It's very research-based, and they're doing a lot of research about what works. The, the concept sticky faith, it's what causes a faith to form that sticks beyond, I, mean, I forget the statistics, but a certain percentage they graduate, and by the time they're 25, they've abandoned their faith, a pretty high percentage. That's it. And um, so the concept is what, what for those who, for whom the faith sticks, like what was it? And some of the interesting things I've seen in their research, and you know, we could dive more deeply into that, but one is it is the family that plays the most mm. important role. It's not the exclusive role, as you were just saying, it's, it, but it is by far the largest piece. And I think that sort of goes against our, maybe our assumptions, our tendencies. And, and this is broader culturally, not just in faith, but we, we often like to think of you know, we want our kid to learn to play the piano. We send them to a piano teacher. We want them to learn, you know, math. We send them to school. We want them to learn faith, send them to church or school, both, you know, and do that to them and then send them back mm -hmm. ready to go. That's just not the reality. The reality is it, it, family more generally defined, but like what's happening at home on a day-to-day -day basis 
that's where you're practicing your faith. Not one hour on Sunday, a couple hours here on Monday. It's this is where you're actually doing it. And so what you do throughout the week with your with your kids, that's that's where they're they're forming their faith. But that's been the by far those who have gone on and continued in their faith, it's it's family. That that's what's really causing it to stick. You know, another great resource, a book that a bunch of us have read up here at school by um, David Kinneman and Mark Matlock, Faith for the Exiles, Five Ways a New Generation to Follow Jesus in Digital Babylon. And they make the, they sort of categorize based on the Barna research, these different categories of believers. And in short, they say, hey, if our goal is that our children will be resilient faith followers, then based on research, these tend to be the markers or the habits that these students or these kids have in common who okay. would be categorized as a resilient believer. So another kind of along the same line, similar resource that could be interesting for somebody that's kind of saying, okay, what could be a next place for me to look or what's another great resource for support? So absolutely, um, absolutely. I love all that. Yeah. Well, Daniel, really appreciate your time with us today. Do you want to land on a final thought or a final takeaway or nugget for our listeners today? And then I'll wrap us up. Sure. So this is really pulling together all my experience as a person, as a professor, just trying to think through through this process that's so crucial, this group of people, these young people who are there's such a crucial juncture in their life. If I, you know, if I had to sort of summarize my thoughts there, and again, I say that Lightly. I'm not an expert in all this. I'm still learning along the way, too. But I would say that above all, like the most important thing is for us as parents or as uncles, as aunts, mm-hmm. as cousins, as, just as family, is to be willing to model genuine faith and to invite our kids into the process with us. Reading scripture, showing them the struggles of trying to read scripture on a regular basis, showing them the struggles of reading certain parts of scripture, you know, the, the whole process, praying doing it with them, trying to practice living like a Christian, living like Christ. That to me is just, that space is what is so crucial to, to faith development in the long run. If our goal was just in the short run to have kids who look right, they cookie cutter, they, you know, they, they fit all the description of what good kids should look like, is it, there are ways to do that. But if our goal is long, deep-rooted, rich faith, it requires patience and just living it day by day. It's, it's not glamorous. It's just day by day. As you said, you're in the car, a song comes on, you're in a conversation, you hear someone say something that challenges you. Just giving that space to practice as a genuine person along the journey as well, not just as the expert who has all the answers, but as someone who's really on that journey with your, your kids as well. To me, that is one of the most crucial things we can do. Now, again, there are some great resources out there to fill that in and supplement that. But at its core, if we do that and if we're patient and we trust God in the long run, if we have that wide angle view, that's the most important thing we can do. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I'm so thankful that God's word is exactly that. Daniel, thanks for being here today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Metro Minute Life in the Middle edition. Find new episodes, resources, and more on our website at metroca.com or on social media under Metro Christian Academy Tulsa. Interested in continuing the conversation about what you've heard today? I'd love to hear from you. Connect with me using connect at metroca.com.